displayed on your screens. Again, that's Acts 9, 1 through 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. May God bless the reading of his word. Pastor Jeff Authors will now continue our sermon series on the church unleashed by preaching on the topic, the most unlikely convert. Let's hear what the Lord has to share through Pastor Jeff. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, my Crossbridge friends. Wait, 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 wait. Hi, Pastor Jeff. <laughs> uh, hi, Yuki Bear. <laughs> <laughs> hi. Yo, I have some great news. Great news, I tell you. Yeah, what is it? <laughs> well, um, you know that, uh, Jesus, he's alive. <laughs> that's right. That's what, that's what Easter's all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because on Friday, I thought the story was over because, mm -hmm. you know, Jesus died. But then Minister Kobo said that we can have hope. The story isn't finished yet. Really? Well, tell me more. Yeah. And then on Saturday, we had some great fun activities with the Crossbridge aunties. And it was great. Mm -hmm. 
Whoa! Hi, Yuki Bear. Hey, Suki Duck. Hello? Yuki Bear, are you there? guys kind of zoned out right there <laughs> oh as i was saying yeah today today someone told me that jesus is a risen he is risen indeed that's right and if we just keep yes, going all right that's the end of the story folks thanks for coming all right happy easter no Yay! no 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 slow down yuki bear <laughs> it's not quite the end of the story what what are you trying to say, Dr. Arthurs? Jesus is alive, isn't he? He's not going to die again, right? No, 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 no. Look, 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 Yuki Bear, why don't you just, just relax? Just sit back and listen to the sermon? Hmm. Okay. Good morning and happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. One of the reasons we know that Jesus rose again from the dead is because of this story today, this historical narrative. The risen Messiah appeared to the most unlikely person imaginable. The resurrected Christ reached down and he plucked with power and mercy an angry, self-righteous, ambitious, proud, religious terrorist, and he turned him around. Praise the Lord. All right, here's the background of our passage. Jesus died about five years before this event. And during those five years, the disciples have multiplied. They began with 120 disciples huddled in an upper room. Then, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell and they expanded to 3,000 disciples. And then before long, there were tens of thousands all over the land of Israel. Jews were repenting and turning to Jesus. Priests were repenting and turning to Jesus. Samaritans were repenting and turning to Jesus. Yes, you heard me right. Samaritans, those half-pagan neighbors to the north, were coming to believe in Jesus. And the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council of the Jewish aristocracy, the Sanhedrin are worried and uh, jealous, and they are scared. They can see their power eroding like a sandcastle with the incoming tide. So they need to do something. They need to appoint someone to stop these Nazarenes. Well, they didn't have to look far. The perfect man was already breathing out threats against the disciples. His name was Saul, the Pharisee. He was there when they stoned Stephen to death. He liked the sound of rocks slamming into flesh 
breaking bones. Saul the Pharisee was bold, persuasive, decisive, and furious as he breathed out threats. He said to the Sanhedrin, Give me letters to the synagogues in Damascus. I'll go up there and I'll bring back anyone belonging to the way. <laughs> I'll show them the way. Damascus is about 135 miles uh, north, northeast of Jerusalem. It is the oldest city in the world, and at that time they had tens of thousands of Jews that lived there in the Jewish quarter of the city. At this time, the Christians were still part of Judaism, still meeting in the synagogues, so it would be easy for Saul to identify who belonged to the way, clap them in irons, and bring them back to Jerusalem. So, he collects his letters from the Sanhedrin, he gathers a cohort of temple police. He lays in a store of supplies for a five or six day journey. And he sets out his face set like granite toward Damascus. And then what happened? The city was just up ahead, up there shimmering in the waves of heat. But before he even walked through the gates, something happened. A bright light, brighter than the noonday sun, flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? You're not really who I think you are, are you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Rise, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Well, Saul had come to bind the disciples and lead them away, but here he is being led by the hand. Saul thought he was so enlightened, but here he is struck blind. He thought he was the sword of God, but now he discovers he has been the pawn of Satan. For three days, he's blind. For three days, he eats or drinks nothing. For three days, he prays. And then there's another vision. The Lord appears to another man, Ananias. Go. Go to Saul, lay your hands on him, restore his sight. So Ananias the brave, Ananias the obedient goes, and he says, Brother Saul, regain your sight. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says something like scales fell off of his eyes. He rose and he was baptized, and after taking some food, he was strengthened. Well, that's the beginning of Saul's new life. God turned his worst enemy into his best ally. Immediately, Saul starts preaching in the synagogues. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I've seen him. He's the one the Old Testament talks about. I met him. God 
turned him around. His adversary became his friend, his servant, his partner, his ally. So, let's pause to reflect on this story of the conversion of Saul. May I draw our attention to three truths that Saul learned. First, Saul learned that Jesus is alive. Mm -hmm. Saul appeared, uh, Jesus appeared to Saul in a vision as the light flashed around him. You know, in the book of Acts, the context of this story, visions are very important and they appear frequently. And in particular, this particular vision changed Saul's life 180 degrees. He was going this way, and then Jesus, the living Christ, the resurrected Messiah, uh, met him and appeared to him in a vision and turned him around 180 degrees. His worst enemy became the ally of God, the servant of God. Saul, in the book of Acts, um, Saul tells this story uh, two other times. It's, uh, it's, it's Luke recorded it three times in total because that was a way of showing us what's important. You know, it's like he repeats his points. And here's what's important. Jesus is alive. He appeared to Saul. And even though this story happened almost 2,000 years ago, nothing has changed. Jesus is, present tense, alive. And one of the reasons that we believe he rose is because of this historical event. So today, we affirm that Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. This is our belief. This is our hope. And that's the first thing Saul leave, uh, learned, Jesus lives. Second thing he learned, he learned that Jesus is a righteous Messiah and risen. But here's the second thing, he learned that he himself is a sinner. Mm -hmm. That was a hard lesson. After all, he was a law-keeping Pharisee. He prayed. He offered sacrifices. He gave money to charities. He did good deeds. And he was a sinner. Uh, listen to his reflection written years later. This is from 1 Timothy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. King James Version says, I am the chief but I received mercy. I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent of God, but I received mercy. You know, this lesson about his own sinfulness uh, never left him. He refers to his sinfulness and the sinfulness of mankind uh, throughout his letters. For example, in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Ephesians, at one time we were far from God. 
He describes our fallen condition with words like this, lost, blind, uh, enemies of God, dead. He seems to be uh, echoing Ezekiel, who said that our hearts are hard like a rock. Uh, in your imagination, pretend that I have a rock here. It is hard. It is uh, unfeeling. Doesn't protest. It is cold. If you hold it to your cheek, it it uh, it's cold. It it mimics the the atmosphere, the room temperature. It is unresponsive. You might set the rock down and say, stand up, jump, but it won't. And Ezekiel and Paul say, without Christ, our spiritual state is, we're like a rock. But we need new hearts. That's what Ezekiel said, and that's what God gave to Saul when he filled him with the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. He turned him from an enemy to an ally. But first of all, he had to own and grasp his sin. Then he was in the position to receive mercy. Bronlow North was a Scottish minister who helped bring about a great revival in that part of the world. But he began his ministry with the burden of having a terrible reputation. Everyone knew that he used to be a notorious sinner. When Bronlow North tried to begin preaching, someone sent a letter to the authorities listing in detail all of his sins. But instead of hiding or running away or pretending like he was perfect, Bronlow North walked into the pulpit and actually read the letter to the congregation. He said, all of this is true. It is correct. A correct picture of the vile sinner I once was. And oh, how wonderful is the grace that could awaken me and make me what I am tonight, a vessel of mercy. That phrase is picked up from Saul's speech, a vessel of mercy. Our translation says an instrument of mercy. So Saul learned that he was a sinner and he learned that God is rich in mercy. And then a third lesson he learned that Jesus chose him for a mission. He was, as I say, a chosen instrument. Verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God had a mission for Saul, and he has one for you, too, and me, too. Did you notice that uh, when Jesus addresses Saul, he, he calls his name twice? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
The Lord does this a few times in Scripture, uses the person's name twice. And usually when he does that, it's in the, uh, the context of some kind of commissioning. For example, Moses, Moses, remember, at the burning bush? Take off your shoes, this is holy ground, I am sending you back to Egypt. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset. But Mary has chosen something better than what you have chosen. So you should do what she's doing. Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you, but I have prayed for you. When you have repented, strengthen your brothers. Saul, Saul, I will send you to the ends of the earth, preaching that I am alive. So when Jesus saves us, he also commissions us. Will you remember that? Jeffrey, Jeffrey, I want you to feed my sheep. My disciple, my disciple, put your name in there. I want you to tell people that I am alive. My friend, my friend, put your name in there. I have a mission for you. Use your gifts for me. Your salvation is more than a personal story of sin and salvation. It is also part of my story to save the world. You have a part to play. So God communicated to Saul that he was a chosen instrument. All of us want to be chosen. It's a natural instinct that we have. At the, at the birthday party, uh, the magician says to the children, I need a volunteer. And uh, the children raise their hands, ooh, 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 and they say, choose me. All of us want to be chosen. Uh, the college graduate makes it through a series of interviews. Uh, the, the, the graduate is down to one of the final three candidates, and they're going to let the graduate know on Tuesday. And it is Tuesday, and the phone rings. And you look at the caller ID. It's them. It's the company. Please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. I want to be chosen. <coughs> And the higher the authority, the greater the honor in being chosen. My friend uh, Scott Gibson was chosen to go to the White House. He, he was just a professor at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, but he got a phone call from a White House aide who said, uh, hello, uh, Dr. Scott Gibson, uh, this is so-and-so from the White House. And the president, uh, at that time George Bush, the president, uh, President Bush would like you to come to the White House. He wants to consult with uh, religious leaders and he has chosen you. Well, what do you think my friend Scott did? Do you think he said, oh, I don't know, I'm kind of busy? No. <laughs> He got on a plane, he rearranged his schedule, he was there because it was a privilege and an honor 
to be chosen, and the higher the authority, the greater the honor. All right, God, not just the president, says, I have something for you to do. Tell people about me. Tell them I am alive. Tell them you met me. Tell them that you and they are sinners, but I am full of mercy. Tell them to repent. Tell them to believe. Tell them to follow me. So that's the story of the conversion of Saul. The story of how God turned his worst enemy into his greatest ally. Saul learned that Jesus is alive. He learned that he himself was a sinner, but God is full of mercy. And he learned that he was chosen to carry out a mission. Nothing has changed. Those three truths are intact for us. May God make it so. Amen and amen.